All right, college basketball fans, we are here for yet another episode of Mad About Hoops. And we also say hello to all of our listeners on the fan who are checking us out on a Saturday morning. I'm Timmy Hall. My college basketball loving friend is right there. He's wearing a hat, but he's still bald underneath it. And he's very evil. Colin, what's going on, my man? Tim, it's like 40 degrees outside. For the average person, that's not very cold. But for someone that doesn't have the hair insulation on their head, it's uh, it's a little chilly. But, you know, we make it work. I know uh, you can't see me, but maybe I'll do a little social post with the fit here. I am rocking my mid-2000s era Nike Elite Kansas Jayhawk full-on warm-up suit. I've got the button-down coat. I've got the pullover shooting shirt. And then underneath... I've got the number 10, Kirk Heinrich, old Iowa boy. Oh, my boy, Kirk. Great Chicago Bull. Fine, Kansas Jayhawk. I'm ready for that, that Kansas-Missouri battle, baby. Yeah, I was about to say, that whole fit's been in the closet for at least how many years? 15, 20 years? <laughs> yes, it has, man. This, this, <laughs> this, The jacket, like the creme to the creme, the button-up jacket, which, you know, it's... It's kind of ridiculous to go out in public wearing something like that, but it's a prized possession because my... My then girlfriend, now wife, bought it for me. Oh, wow. And back then, like, this was one of those items where you would see it in some of the stores on Mass Street around Lawrence, and you'd just sort of salivate over it. You're like, oh, there it is. The, you know, $70 jacket. Even back then, that was super expensive. You know, even today, that's still a lot. But that's like what a, a regular hoodie costs. But I needed that thing, and I got it. And you know what? Like, I think of Kirk Heinrich. I think of Nick Collison at the same time. Like, talk about a an all-time package deal college basketball duo, right? Roy Williams plucks those guys out of the state of Iowa, brings them down to Kansas, and you get four years of pop. I mean, how are you getting guys that good this day and age that stay all four years, no transferring? It's absolutely dead. Like, you you, don't, you won't see a pair like that ever again. Yeah, no, it's, it's a different breed of player. It's a uh, Gillespie type of player over at Villanova who just finished up. Uh, Colin Gillespie, it's just, it's very rare to be that good, that talented, but I think it's also a mix of, they see their ceiling and their ceiling in terms of their play and their money and make with NIL now being in the mix is that being the peak being in college. So they just stick around. All right. Well, we've got so much fun to get into this week. We're so glad everybody is here. We will, we'll get everybody caught up with where we are in the sport this week. We've got an evil bald Colin mid-major flavor coming down the road here. We'll get back to the Mad About Hoops road trip meter because there is a big one, a huge one in the state of Ohio this weekend. That's always a big deal, no matter the records. What's up with North Carolina? We got some other big battles going on to talk about. And the Ohio State Buckeyes in the polls at number 25 had a gigantic buzzer-beating win this week over Rutgers that we've got to talk about. It's all right here. You've got it. If you're a college basketball fan, just nestle in for the hour. It's Mad About Hoops. Five to go. Lewis has been awesome. Let's it go. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner across the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He hit it! He hit it! He hit it! He hit it just inside of half court! Lane's on the other wing. Bang! Oh! 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 Sent it in, Jerome! Oh! Ha ha! College basketball! This is March Madness! 
this. Yeah, that gets us ready to go. And hearing some of those clips in our open call, and it makes you wonder, and we'll play it for you later on when we get into the Buckeyes in a couple of segments here. I don't know for a, for a regular season buzzer beater if that could make the open because we've got a great one in there. We've got the Evan Turner shot. I was surprised to hear Adam Jardy, the dispatch, kind of reminded everyone this was the first quote-unquote like true-to-form buzzer beater, you know? Aaron Crafts wasn't a buzzer beater, you know, against Iowa State That's because right. there was maybe a, a second left or a tenth of a second left. Evan Turner shoots the ball. Buzzer goes off. You know what I mean? I don't have to explain true buzzer beaters to everybody. Surprising to hear that Tanner Holden's shot is the first one since Evan Turner's. I was about to respond to him with the Zed Key versus Akron one last year, but I remembered that in the moment, it seems like a true buzzer beater because there was no time on the clock. But actually, the rest put, I think, like they put some three time. tenths back on. Yep, so, yeah, some time. unfortunately, that isn't part of it. But it, it still, it doesn't take away from how great of a moment even that was. So let's start from the top. Let's just you know, scan the sport where we are here. You know, we we look at the rankings this week, and you still you still have Houston. You still have the Cougars, number one overall. And I don't Texas think that'll stick. Right. You don't think that's going to stick? No, now? Yeah. honestly, I think it should be UConn. Uh, UConn is just absolutely dominating their competition. They've had a decent schedule to late. Uh, they beat Alabama, Oregon, and Iowa State. Uh, not flashy wins. Like, they're not going to be a lot of ranked wins on that schedule in terms of what they face so far in their non-conference. But they just looked good doing it. I, I think they've got some of the best talent in the in the country. Well, go with them because that'd be a surprising bump because Houston has held serve, and with the way voters are, UConn got zero first place votes. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna I, have don't, to I don't think they will. I'm I gonna build lumber you and say, yeah, I'm gonna have to go ahead and disagree no, with you on that one. They but, will not. But because UConn's wins here, they. They got Alabama. This wasn't like what Purdue did with two straight eye-popping wins over Gonzaga and Duke. And that shot them. And Purdue was ranked, right? They went all the way up to number four. If there was a team that you wanted to start talking about just overall resume and who have they beaten, I mean, Purdue's got Marquette, West Virginia, Gonzaga, Duke, Florida State. They got Minnesota and Big Ten play, and they're bludgeoning these teams, right? They just had a week one against Hofstra. They're bludgeoning teams. So we start talking about, you know, how they should shuffle out on Monday. I'm just saying, Houston, they started on top. It's usually how it goes, same as football. I do think in basketball, though, we're a little bit more liberal in our willingness to move teams up quickly. I like that about the sport. Yes. If you get some wins – it's a long season, right? And r really, the AP Top 25 poll, it does not matter in the end about, you know, whether you're going to have a chance to win a championship, you know? You really, you're really going for a one seed, and there's four of those to be had. I mean, if we can get into semantics and argue about which region do we want to be a one seed in and where we're going to get posted, that matters. But I, I do like in basketball how Purdue gets those wins and they go from what were they 20th or 22nd in that last poll and they shot up to oh, four. Yeah. They shot five. up to number four in the country. Or I think they went to five and then last week they bumped up another spot to one. But well, I'm that's just, just what the yeah. parody of the sport is, especially like I think it's the number one sport in terms of it's hard to tell pre preseason how to rank these teams because they're just going to develop in ways you don't see coming. Like, well, let's go back to UConn. This is a team that really wasn't on a whole lot of radars. Nationally, I, I know in the Big East, they were expected to compete with Creighton and a possibly a Villanova, but just the contributions they've gotten from guys, uh, mainly like a guy like Jordan Hawkins, one of their main guards who averaged like five points a game last year, he shot up all the way to 13 so far 
and he's played out of his mind. And the, the ECU transfer, Trist, Tristan Newton's played really well. Like, okay. you just yeah. don't know how these, these teams are going to mesh right away, but they have mainstays that come, that, that stay on the team from year to year, like Adama Sanogo. So you know that they have the talent, but whether they're going to show out right away, you, you just really don't know until the games start happening. So that's why you kind of react in the moment in such a exaggerated way. Why is Dan Hurley just so much better than his brother, Bobby Hurley? I, I think coaching? it's culture. I, it's just I, the, I wasn't as good of a player, so I'm going to be a much better coach than you. Is that what it is? It just feels like culture. And let's get it straight. I think Arizona State's actually had a pretty decent season outside of a, a swack loss they had. But it, it, it just kind of seems like the culture's off. I, I saw the situation between uh, Hurley and Marcus Bagley, Marvin Bagley's brother down there where he was getting suspended for it, it kind of seemed like fishy reasons. And then he was going to public of why he was getting suspended and his disagreements with Hurley. And then it just kind of got a little messy. I just think it's kind of a, a culture issue. Yeah, it's and you know what? I will say this. It's not like either of the Hurleys are like bad boys, like big bad dudes on the coaching block. They both got some work to do. Dan is way ahead in the game. Bobby now is in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's been there a while. Eighth year. Eighth year at Arizona State. He had the 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 two years at Buffalo. And I think the name alone, you know, oh, Bobby Hurley's doing this. He had a great year at Buffalo, NCAA tournament. I want to say that they stopped in Columbus. I think that Buffalo team might have lost to West Virginia in the first round. And I, I think I remember being in a, a press okay. conference with that patented bluish hue of the NCAA logo, the black drapes, and then the blue circular NCAA logo and Bobby Huggins, Huggy Bear and and Bobby Hurley were up there. And those are, of course, two big names in the basketball world. But yeah, Dan, with what he did at Rhode Island, just sort of establishing himself there, putting more time there, more 20 win seasons. UConn was was a bit messy when he took it over, you know, from the Kevin Ollie situation. And now he's gone to two straight tournaments. And I'm, I know you loved UConn for a couple years. They don't have RJ Cole and book night anymore. So I'm surprised to see them playing this well. Just as you are. I know you're a big well, fan that's, of those Huskies. That's the thing. is that Newton, Hawkins, the two players I told you, those guys have kind of filled the roles and, and replaced uh, the, the positions that Book Knight and uh, RJ Cole the past couple of years have vacated. It's just it's all about how of these guys that haven't produced in previous years, how do they translate or how do they raise their level of their game the following year? We're seeing it evident with a team like UConn. And quite honestly, it's it's also the same with a team like Purdue and they're getting a three-star point guard in a, his freshman season and Braden Smith just playing out of his mind to start his career and it, that was the, one of the biggest positions they needed to replace because you didn't really know not only who's going to be able to run the show but if you're going to get steady scoring from that position yeah. once Jaden Ivey left you know uh, evil I could talk about UConn basketball players from yesteryear for <laughs> hours if, if you were to who, who would you say your favorite? I don't know if I could see anybody on top of a Rip Hamilton and then another one, Khalid. I don't know if they called it, if they pronounced it Khalid or Khaled. I believe it was Khalid Elamine. That's the way I love to say it. I'm an Khalid o I'm an, Elamine. I'm an Okafor fan. An Okafor no, fan? I, I just to get out of here. I just love the, the Jim Calhoun. Charlie Villanueva? Yeah, that's a good one. No, I, I just enjoyed it, and I brought up Okafor because of that rant that uh, – Jim Calhoun went on when he uh, he got beat and was asked about the recruiting and how he's been he was missing on some recruits. He's like, I messed up, but I'm 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 editing what he was saying because I don't want to put it over not the air. The, not to get some facts and come back and see me. That's no, a he's different like, rant. He's like, what do you entirely. want me to, he, He's like, what do you want me to say? I messed up. I I blanked up. 
All right. Sorry. Uh, ben Gordon, of course. Emeka Okafor. Emeka Okafor. Correct. Yeah, not, uh, you had me thinking Jaleel Okafor. No, no, which no, is no. The Duke, Duke. Which is the Duke, Duke guy yeah. one and done. But no, Emeka was outstanding. Rudy Gay, obviously. Uh, what about Hashim the Dream? Hashim the Hashim the beat, man. Oh, man. What a big. He what went, a big, I, right? Was it second or third in the NBA draft? And it just completely disappeared. Yeah, it didn't, ha- didn't happen in the league, but whatever. We're, we're, we're college basketball <laughs> in, in this case right here. Yeah, but but again, you look at the top of the sport right now. Houston is rolling. Texas under Chris Beard. I think the Longhorns, right? And th- they, of course, got one of the more fascinating transfers in with Tyrese Hunter mm-hmm. from Iowa State. And we just had a big Iowa State-Iowa game where the Hawkeyes, even without Chris Murray, easily disposed of the Cyclones. And Iowa State was good. First-year coach in Otzelberger. And that had to be such an awkward thing for Tyrese Hunter to just, you know, get to play 31 minutes a game, basically be one of the stars of the team. And then he's just out. And it's in conference. But, I I mean, I, I guess you get it. Some people were saying that it was all the NIL money. When Hunter talked about that, he was sort of offended by that notion that it wasn't about that. It was just purely about development and being uh, being at Texas. But he's he's the best player for Texas. You know, and they still got Marcus Carr and they got Rice and Timmy Allen doing their thing. It's I think everybody could see Chris Beard went to Texas. Whatever Rick Barnes was for so long at Texas, keeping them at a very, very high level. And even look what Rick Barnes is doing at Tennessee now. You talk about another... You know, big dude on the block of the college basketball world in the early goings, Tennessee with a big win over Kansas. But Chris Beard and the Longhorns, they matter now. Like, they, I think, are finally a factor. They're a final four threat. Shock is gone. Chris Beard has them elevated. Yeah, so this is a team, Texas, that really, they're, they're pretty good defense, or offensively. They're, I think, 14th in Kemba. But really, they hang their hat on their defense. I think they're third overall in that category. And uh, before the Illinois loss, they had only given up 70-plus points once, and that was to Gonzaga. And they, I mean, they completely shut down Creighton. It was a pretty good game there. Uh, outside of Gonzaga, Creighton, Illinois, they haven't been fully tested outside of those three games, so we'll see how they continue through the season. It's really going to be with this team, how is how consistent is their shooting outside of Carr and Hunter? Because, to be honest, down the stretch in that Illinois game, when they had the lead, they just couldn't make shots and I know it's the most basic term in the sport. You got to make shots to win the game, but it just it seems a little bit like they'll struggle in times where they'll kind of have a dry spell outside of those two guys. All right, we will keep scanning some of the big names in the sport right now. I want to get Evil's take on a a huge program that is faltering and a big injury to hit on as well. We'll still talk about the Buckeyes and their big week and their seven and two start coming up. Quick little pause here. You guys are listening to our college basketball podcast right here. Mad about hoops. All right, everybody. Mad about hoops is rolling on. I'm Timmy Hall. That's Eva Bald Colin right there. We are in the month of December. We haven't hit the new year yet. We're kind of in this this pocket of the schedule here where you could have some big time games or you could have some other buy games. Usually when uh, I would take my college basketball trip around the holidays with my one uh, good friend from out east and we tried to scratch a lot of arenas, a lot of gyms off the bucket list. Colin, we've talked about this a lot over the past years. Haven't been able to do it here lately because that dude lives in Seattle now. So we might just have to, you know, meet in the middle and go to a game at Allen Fieldhouse or something. But it's not a bad choice. Yeah. Then again, I've already been there and the whole idea of of doing the road trip. So you're telling me you're not going out to Berkeley to watch Cal and Butler this weekend. That sounds great though. <laughs> I mean, you talk about 
where not the, you get not to the go. basketball, not the basketball. Oh, what's the name of the gym in Seattle? I mean, my buddy lives out there, so he's got to be. He had to have become a a Washington Husky fan. I know he, he actually just told me he went to a Husky game a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember which one he went to, but he's he's a Michigan fan. Sorry to say, because he grew up around Ann Arbor. But you know, you settle in a place and you just you, you kind of pick up the teams that are close by. The Huskies gym is a very cool, neat, old place. Alaska Airlines Arena? Yeah, Alaskan Airlines Arena, but I think it's got an older name that the locals call it. The like, Heck Edmondson the Heck, Pavilion. The Heck Ed. That's right. The Heck Edmondson Pavilion. It's a neat old place. It's it's a neat spot. But, yeah, there's uh, there's nothing better than getting into a gym. And even if it is a buy game, I can remember when I got to check out Hinkle Fieldhouse for the first time. Belmont was actually on the schedule. So oh, that wow. was a step up game. That's pretty good. Because Belmont is no joke. You know, we've got on this pod, we got a lot of respect for the Belmont Bruins and what those guys have been doing. And that was a fun game because it was it was one of those December 23rd games. Usually it's a lighter game for the bigger programs. You're not trying to get a big dog to play right before Christmas because you likely have one of your bigger pockets of no play for the season. But then again, you could wake up and it's the week before Christmas and the CBS Sports Classic is in front of your face. I was just about to say. So, one of those teams that's going to be playing in the CBS Sports Classic, Evil, what the hell is going on with the North Carolina Tar Heels right now? You know, I've been hearing this theory a lot the past couple of weeks, and it goes back to last year, and it just kind of, I think people are pointing to the fact that this is a team that struggled, obviously, in the regular season outside of that big win in Cameron Indoor when they beat Coach K in his final home game. Uh, they went into the, the tournament as an eight seed and made that miraculous run. My thought process and what I've heard is people saying maybe this is just who they are and they just had a really good run in the tournament. Maybe maybe we have the not on the same level as what UCLA was the two years prior, but maybe it's just it's even more drastic with this Tar Heel team and to be honest I don't know if I fully buy into that because I see the talent I see a, a starting five adding Pete Nance into the mix with Leaky Black Caleb Love RJ Davis Armando Baycott like this is a really really solid lineup now the depth isn't fully there they've got some youth on the bench but they don't play a whole lot outside of Puff Johnson to be honest, I just feel like it's a team that's really ran into a buzzsaw of a of a, uh, a of a schedule to start with. I mean, you're you're, you're losing to a, a very solid, but I wouldn't say great Iowa State team. Uh, went a couple of overtimes with Alabama, who's been pretty good. Yeah, he was good on team. the road yeah. at Indiana, and then on the road at a Virginia Tech team that looks really solid. Like, I, I, if they were losing to teams like James Madison, Portland, and Gardner, Gardner Webb. I would be concerned, but I think it's just a product of their schedule so far. But well, look, we were starting to hammer Hubert Davis over, I guess what was it, a twelve and six start to the season? Because they never they never hit a point. I mean, they lost games to I'm looking at their schedule last year. So put your mind to where our thoughts were, even on this pod. Okay. Because this was such a big deal, right? Like we can understand that and appreciate that. The Duke job turns over. All eyes are going to be watching the North Carolina job turns over. These are just not even just our college basketball bubble. This is for sports. Like these are jobs. When the coaching position comes open, Ohio state football, right? The whole sports world is going to take a peek at what's going on. Who takes over? How do these guys do in the early stages? Because your pantry is likely full. You've got the brand and you've got the money. You've got the power. You've got the big time fan base. You should be able to keep it going. So they lost to Purdue and Tennessee. They were three and two. 
Then they went on a little run. Remember, they smacked Michigan last year when Michigan was having early season struggles. Then uh, they got just destroyed by Kentucky. And I don't think it was the record. They were 8-3 and at that point. It was the way they got beat. They got beat by 30 points. They were a freaking mess in that game. Nothing was right. Then they lost to Notre Dame, but... At their worst, they were 12 and six. Then they started to get better. Then they uh, they lost the first game to Duke by 20, but they went on a pretty big run. It was more, I mean, they went 15 and five in the ACC last year. So I'm saying this looks bad right now, but it took them a little bit of time to figure things out last year. Could we, I mean, evil, could we give them that benefit of the doubt where they struggled a little bit to find their sea legs last season? I'm not saying that's a good thing, though, or that's a good quality in a coach where he's in his second season now. He should have had culture, and he should have had some of these other chemistry things in place. So I do agree. I'm reading some of these comments from coaches that have, you know, offered some input. There's an ESPN Plus article that's got some coaching insight as to what's and, going and I on think with they them. Nailed it. And a lot of them point to the chemistry issues, Absolutely. which I do think is more of a concern. It's okay if it takes you some time to get going. If you are going to finish with an NCAA tournament run like they had last year and almost win a national championship, things can be forgiven. But you, you don't want to fall into a trap of starting slow and that being an MO year after year. I know it's just year two, so I'm trying not to throw up too many red flags. This could be solved with a month of good basketball, you know? Yeah, no, these coaches really nailed it. I, I love some of the points that are made in this article. Yes, the chemistry looks off. It looks like you just got ISO ball. I've been saying that for the past week. Isolation ball between RJ Davis and Caleb Love. Yeah. They decide, yeah. okay, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to get my fadeaway jump shot in. Oh, okay, next possession, we'll get a we'll get a ball down to Baycott. It just doesn't feel smooth. It feels like everything's forced because everybody's got to get their own opportunity. And then when you coincide with that, because they're so forcing that issue, they're not performing well. They're not shooting the three well. I think it's what the worst three-point shooting percentage so far since the Dean era. They're making just 29% of their threes. It just kind of seems like they're just forcing everything. Hubert, you have to be careful, man. You have to be careful because this is a, at the same time, it's a very strong thing, but it can be a delicate thing too if you screw it up. It's your alma mater. You played there. You were a star, big-time broadcaster. This is a big deal now. You cannot go to the national championship game and then have it fall completely off the rails. Again, they're they're unranked. That's already bad. They were the number one team in the country, and they're unranked. It's a time to, like, look inside, look in the mirror, reflect, see who is all about North Carolina basketball and how important that is to you because that – is pretty freaking important to a lot of people out there. And for the record, I hate them. As a college basketball <laughs> fan, I love Gee, to hate I wonder them. Why. I'm a Kansas guy. I cannot hate North Carolina basketball enough. They cannot disgust me anymore. But I feel like we did a pretty good job open, uh, being open and honest in this analysis of what's going on with Tar Heel basketball because it's got to be better. You can't bring that many guys back from a national title team and then spiral out of control. Don't be Matt Doherty. Don't be Doherty. Can't, can't <laughs> well, have that happen. You can't be that bad. No, I, I think you nailed it. Otherwise, I, missing Brady Manick. I, I I think Pete Nance is a good addition to the team, but I don't think he does exactly the same stuff as what Manick brought. Manick was a mismatch four who could stretch it out to the three-point line, and you had to force your big guys to come out and guard that line. I don't feel like that's the same situation with Nance. I, don't, I honestly don't even think he's much of a three-point shooter. I haven't looked at his numbers, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a good player to fill the role, but it's not the same type of guy. And Manic was so 
uh, instrumental to their success when they really turned it on late. Brady Manick is with the Perth Wildcats of the National Basketball League now. Dan Anda. So uh, he was a big time dude. And it's players like that that you mention almost as much as the superstar kind of guys. But he could get you buckets too. Like he could have those big stat line games. And he is just someone that fired up the crowd, fired up his teammates when he made plays. Looking like a lumberjack out there, never hurt anybody. So uh, before we take another quick pause, uh, that big injury that we were talking about, you look at the Big Ten, back to some Big Ten hoops here, Colin. Jalen Llewellyn from Michigan, done for the season now. And Michigan has had you know some issues of their own. They're another one of these teams that we have been anointing for the past couple of years in the rankings to start the season. And then they take some lumps and have to figure some things out. They always wind up being a tough out, of course, because they got a lot of talent and Juwan Howard doing his thing. I mean, he'll he'll straight up fight a coach if he doesn't like what's going on these days. <laughs> but your your thoughts on that injury and what that does to the Wolverines? Yeah, so it, it completely obliterates their point guard depth. And it's been a problem under Howard, unfortunately, the years that he's been there. There just hasn't been a whole lot behind their number one guy. So you lose Llewellyn, who... Some might say he's been underwhelming. He he hasn't played up to what he was back in the Ivy League the past couple of years. But now you got to turn over to a freshman to run your game because you lost Frankie Collins to the transfer portal. He's now down with Arizona State. It, it's really going to be the Doug McDaniel show. And this is a team that really needs a guy that can run the game because really you're running through two forwards. Or actually, Jet Howard's technically a guard, but he he's built like a forward. Um, and he's, he, you can tell how good he's going to he, be. He's, he's very yeah, good. He's yeah. averaging 15 you, you points tell, per game. You can tell what that dude is going to be. Yeah. No, but you, you, they, that's a team and the way they play offense, they need a point guard that can facilitate the offense to then get the ball down to Hunter Dickinson because as great as Hunter Dickinson is, he's limited in how he plays. He can obviously, he, he can shoot the three a little bit, but he's not very mobile and not very active with his feet. The way you set up offense, you run offense through that center is through a, a point guard that knows what he's doing. Jalen was was struggling shooting the ball, wasn't he? I mean, 30% from the field was not hitting any three-point shots this year. And we talk about that. Some guys, like, take a look at the – and we'll talk about Ohio Which State Which is so weird because he was almost a 40-point uh, – or 40% guy from three Absolutely. last year. And he was – his field goal percentage, it's interesting. He was never the best shooter, just straight-up shooter. And maybe that's shot selection because 39% for your career – that's not good enough, you know, and even for a point guard, I know you're going to do other things, but he's only averaging two and a half assists for his career. It's not like he's a five assist guy and is a terrible shooter, but, you know, not turning the ball over. That's the strength of his, you know, defense, but he was having a rough go of it. I just find it interesting. We, we've gone to that Ivy League for several cycles now, and the best players in the Ivy League have been way up there as far as what we do, the rankings for top transfer targets, and even Ohio state, you know, we, we didn't really get to see ours because of the injury situation with Seth towns. But even before that Michigan had, I'm, why am I blanking Mike on this Smith. name? Mike Smith. Thank you from Columbia, right? Yeah. They're Ran just, the they're just always really well-rounded players and they're almost always upperclassmen because they can only, the rule with the Ivy league is that you can't red shirt. You can only, play the four years right. of your actual like scholarship. So when you have an extra year of eligibility, most of these guys tend to then use it and transfer out so that they can use it somewhere else. But yeah, he was a great player. He, he his, some of his deficiencies, he was only like a 70% free throw shooter. Um, 
like you said, his field goal percentage was pretty low, but obviously it's bottomed out in the few games that he played with Michigan. He was only shooting about 30% from the field, which is just for a point guard in the position where you need some point production from. It's just not good enough. All right. We had a lot of people hot and bothered about a buzzer beating win in Columbus, Ohio this week when the Buckeyes got it done over Rutgers. We will talk about that coming up here. It's episode 74 of Mad About Hoops. There's one thing we love about basketball is that we love complaining about officials. And we love taking every single little thing that they miss and analyzing it to why they lost the game or maybe reversing the outcome of the game, which is what I think a lot of Rutgers fans have been clamoring for (laughs) since the final of the Ohio State Rutgers game. But I'm going to be honest, and we'll get into this. It's a very subjective call. I think the way the rule is written with the term of momentum, and if you've seen the play, you already know Tanner Holden drifts out of bounds, then reestablishes himself right before catching the ball, before he then shoots the three, makes the buzzer beater, and wins the game for Ohio State. Tim, I don't know how you saw it, but to me, it just feels like a subjective call based on yeah. the official. Yeah. Can we hear it first? Because I've got to go hear from, it. from the big daddy Paul Keels, our, our sound courtesy of the Ohio State Sports Network from Learfield. Here we go. Free throw McConnell is missed. Sends the ball the rebound. Thornton trying to get up the right side. Thornton in trouble. Gets it off Holden. Snaps off a three. High on the right. Yes! Holden knocks down a three from a high on the right to give Ohio State the win. Tanner Holden. Gets the ball from Thornton as Bruce Thornton almost mishandled it, and he knocks down a game-winning three on the right sideline. Tanner Holden to give the Buckeyes a 67-66 win over Rutgers. How about that? All right, it's a beautiful call there. I love Ron Stokes. Has a yeah, timely that's the thing. yes in it. And that's with, yeah, with those like shots. I mean, you'll know if he makes it because Ron will tell you. Yeah, and here's the thing with that play. Let's not overlook what beautiful execution it was just to get the shot off under chaos, right? Sure. There's the thing there. And I also question why, you know, Caleb McConnell is is fouling. He's fouling Bruce That's Thornton. my thing. We're not he's even riding, talking about he's this. riding him out of bounds. Because he should, he should be shooting two free throws. But l- let me break this down because Chris Holtman, th- I love listening to just like a good 30 minute to an hour postgame session for, for basketball junkies, right? And that's why I love doing what I do, getting to do the Ohio State postgame show because I get to listen to the entire press conference, hear all the reporters' questions, any little thing that you would be thinking about it, we get to cover that. And Holtman, of course, had two plays in mind for that last draw-up if it was going to be a missed free throw, the one you heard, the one you saw, or if it was going to be made and you're down three, what you try to do. And who the heck knows if what Rutgers was going to try to take away and if they would have tried to play the foul game again. That's one thing. The foul up three cost him. You never really know. I stew over this, man. I don't know how coaches develop their philosophy over when to foul a floor foul. You guys know what I'm talking about. When you're up three, so therefore a three-point shot cannot tie you. And, you know, trying to make them make the first free throw and then miss the second automatically, get a rebound, get a putback, it's a very tricky thing. They, I think, executed that properly. Five seconds left. They foul Ohio State. They just decided to make both free throws or try to make both. They did. They played the foul game, and then they had enough time to get up the court and 
and make the shot. I, I see you want to comment, comment, well, then we got to get back to like the out of bounds portion of it. No, I I just agree, but I, I'm trying to think back to when they fouled. I think they did it in the backcourt, correct? Yeah, they I, did. I believe did. so. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the semantics of that, With I, I 5. think... 5.8 seconds left. I don't know what... I mean, I guess every coach so is then different, you have to but flip what, the what court time... Two times, and it, I, it feels like it'd be the right call, but it wasn't... Maybe you wait until they get in the front court. I mean, it's all, it's all hindsight at this point. One of their guys missed a free throw, which threw the score off, so it was only a two-point lead, so That's then right. you literally couldn't foul, and the three-pointer beat you. <laughs> the three-pointer at worst, would have only tied you. If they would have just played out that first possession, a three-pointer would have only sent it to overtime. They let the game get to a situation where a three-pointer beat them. Now, to the stuff. I am fine with Rutgers fans and with some people pointing out what the letter of the law rule is. Sure. I would probably do it, too, if I was on the losing end. You know you and me. We love to get in it with some good old-fashioned bad officiating, right? Yeah, yes, we I do. love yelling about sucky officials because when they suck, they really do suck. How about the moving screen, that BS on Zed Key? What was that? Bryce bearing a huge three-pointer, and they call some weak crap moving screen. He barely even nudged his shoulder or gave like a half centimeter of an extra shift to the side. It happens all the time. So there was that. But you know what? I am taking the win because we're on Ohio State side. So what if Tanner Holden did go out of bounds on his own volition? There was some stuff going on in that play. The referees did not call it. And he got back in and he was established and he had to hit a 36, 37 foot shot from dang near out of bounds near the half court line. I'm taking the win, man. I'm taking the win because stuff will happen in basketball. Things will get missed. Things will go against you. And then you will have the good fortune to get some things. Remember when Ohio State lost on like a three-quarter court f- shot to Florida? Was that a few years ago in one of those holiday tournaments? Remember that thing? Yeah, I mean, that was, it in. that was last year. No, 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 no. It was At a few years. Fort Myers? Time flies, baby. Against Florida? Florida. Yeah, that was last year in, in Fort Myers. Shut up. That was last season? Yes. It feels like it was three years because ago. Because they won the Seton Hall game on Michi yeah, Johnson's yeah, shot, yeah, yeah. and then they lost to Florida oh my God. The, the game after. Okay, whatever, whatever. But yeah, I I can hear the Jay Billises. I can hear Tom Crean whine and complain. But I mean, those, especially Tom as a coach, you know, like it it goes around and comes around, right? Sure, it's right. it's excruciating for Rutgers there to see maybe something get missed and you lose on a on a buzzer beater right that. But you know what? I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna enjoy it all the same. That's my two. That's my two cents on it. Uh, yeah. If you know anything about the the refereeing crew that was running that game last night, especially led by uh Larry Scarato, um, not very well known. You love him or not? Uh, no. I mean, I, I said guy, last you have a night. Poster of him on your wall. <laughs> I, I said last night, you you have Bo Borowski leave <laughs> and retire. Larry Scarato needs to be next because he's just as bad. Who's better, Carl Hess, TV Teddy, Roger Ayers? R- yeah. Which I think he was on the. I think he was on the crew last night too. But um, yeah, it was just it was it was pretty bad for both sides. I think both sides have a lot of complaints they could have had in both game or let, both sides of the game. Let me give you Holtman's take on all that. You hear a reporter and then Chris Holtman responding on basically that, like why he wasn't so excited at first. Cause about the, the timing was the shot good. Did he get the shot off? And that's interesting too, is what they can review and not review. Were you worried about Tanner being in bounds? Were you worried about any specific 
mechanics no, of No, because, because whether that was the case or not, it's, I, I, I totally understand your question. Whether that was the case or not, it's, it's a live ball, right? Officials are going to you know, make the right call. They're going to miss some calls. Um, those things tend to usually even out. Um, but uh, I, I just, in that moment, um, you know, it, was, it, was, it was an emotional moment for sure. And uh, I just wanted to make sure that the game was actually over. Yeah, so was the shot good? Was the shot not good? And there's some interesting discussion to get into with what you review in basketball and what you can't. If there's no whistle, they're not looking at was Bruce Thornton out of bounds? Did he get fouled by Caleb McConnell? Clearly, they're not reviewing that. And then theoretically, not even if Tanner Holden was in bounds when the shot went off. It also gets you to think about what if there was never any whistle and you're only going to review was a shot out of a player's hand or not in a buzzer beater situation. What if you're looking at a review and you can clearly see that a player's foot is out of bounds, like while he's taking the shot, like on the boundary, like half of his heel is out of bounds and he gets the shot off, you know, what would the call be? Can you even look at the foot in that case? Cause you didn't initially blow a whistle and say that a player's foot was out of bounds. If I honestly don't know if you guys know out there, you want to chime in, hit us up on our social media account at mad about hoops. That's one where I would, I'd have to get knee deep in the rule book on or talk to a, an actual official about. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I I had to watch BTN late after the game, like around 10 or 11 o'clock. And I think Rick Pisa was confirming that he got direction by someone in, in the director of officials talking about how that's not reviewable. Like that aspect of that play was, not was not reviewable. Yeah. I don't really know why. Just was there the shot off or not? Yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot of explanation of why it wasn't reviewable other than they could only just focus on the shot itself. I think that's just a little bit of a rule book thing that people need to look into and quite possibly myself. But hey, man, Ohio State basketball, 7-2. and two, You start you take Big it. Ten play with a win. You get the pause now. And then you have North Carolina, who's struggling. You get to play them in Madison Square Garden. Oh, what a treat that would be to spank those guys in front of a New York audience and a national audience. But some things here, a big concern and hearts go out to ice likely. They did that without maybe the player you would least want to miss in a game against Rutgers, and they won that game. And he's dealing with family situations in Texas, and... We hope that everything's okay, and if he can make it back for North Carolina, hopefully if not, then soon after that. No, completely agree. They uh, they didn't go into a whole lot of detail, and it's not really for us to know. Totally understand. Just continue to support him and welcome him back whenever he can come. Yeah, absolutely. But, but hey, I mean, you got to like beating that kind of team. Oh, it's massive. At home to start your Big Ten play. I mean, the, the fact that you have a few more games that aren't Big Ten basketball games in between – it's just, I said it last night, it's such a mental edge. Rutgers lost that, that game, and they moved up in Ken Balm, if that does. Yeah, and Ohio State dropped one spot. Did you see that? <laughs> I did see that. I will I will say, I want, I want to make a point about that in our last segment coming up here. We'll do the uh, Mad About Hoops road trip meter and also Evil Bald Collins, world-famous mid-major flavor for the week. You guys are listening to episode 74 of Mad About Hoops. All right, Evil. Saturdays are great days in college basketball, by the way. It's, it's major college football day first and foremost, but... Unless if you're in the Big Ten, then it's Sunday. Yeah, Sunday's big, but man, <laughs> I, I love just settling down for a winter Saturday and watching a, a lot of good old college basketball. So, uh, what I left off there with the Ken Palm, I think we understand now 
Offense is great, but in this sport, you would rather flip what Ohio State's ratings are. I would rather be the third best defensive team in the country and the 78th best offensive team in the country. I would flip that because look at teams one, two, three, four in the Ken Palm, who they think are just the best overall quality basketball teams. The defenses, you've got Houston is second. Kinetic, and I'm going in order of one, two, three, four in the overall Ken Palm. Right. Houston's one. Their defensive ranking is second. Connecticut ranked two. Their defensive ranking is four. Tennessee ranked three. Their defensive ranking one. Texas ranked fourth. Their defensive ranking is third. In Houston's offense, they're 21st. Connecticut's offense, great, eighth. Tennessee's offense, 35th. Texas's offense, 14th. So you go down and... I see Baylor as the fifth best offense, but they're ranked 16th in the Ken Palm. Then you go to Arizona. They have the second best offense. They're ranked 18th. Iowa has the sixth best offense. They're ranked 20th. And Ohio State, third best offense, but they're all the way down at 21. Again, that's not a bad place to be. No. I think it proves defense outweighs offense in this sport. At least the efficiency numbers, yes. I I would agree. Well, who do you have more faith in? They're going to last longer in the NCAA tournament. That's what it comes down we'll to. We'll run through the list of teams that are really good on offense and not on defense. I mean, Arizona was a team that struggled in the tournament and finally got knocked out. And well, right, right now this year, they're second in offense, but 65th in defense. It just Obviously, I'm not comparing Ohio State and Arizona. There's really no comparison. Arizona is a really good team that just has a bad loss on their resume. But, um, yeah, it, it's just something that this, this organ or not this organization, this uh, school, this team really needs to fix because it's been a problem under the Holtman era since, quite honestly, since I can rem- remember since he got here. And it's just, it's great that they're very good on offense, but it feels like just late in games when it's a tight game, it feels like you're begging for a stop or two and you feel like you're not going to get it. All right. It's that time for our mid major flavor. We were both watching a game uh, together. Not in the same place, but that's how sick we are. You'll share a link <laughs> with me, and you'll say, hey, this game might not be on natural TV, but don't forget about the stadium app. They might have it. And, yeah, that was uh, Kent State and Gonzaga. Sincere Carey and uh, them boys almost beat Gonzaga. They were up 66-62 at a raucous kennel, too. It wasn't at Spokane Arena. Like, Kentucky weaked out and had to play in the uh, – <laughs> The other arena, so they could pack in more screaming Gonzaga fans and beat their butts in front of more people. But, yeah, that was tough to see Kent State almost come out with a win, but it ended on an 11-0 Zags run. But Kent State and Toledo, uh, for me, I'm looking at those Northern Ohio squads in the MAC, and they are pretty good teams, pretty good teams right there. I think they're going to pace the MAC most of the season. Absolutely. I mean, look at their schedule and who they played, and I know South Dakota State's not looking so far as a team that they've usually have in the past, but they beat them. Uh, they have close losses to Charleston and Houston. Houston is the number two team in the nation. Charleston's probably the best uh, mid-major, almost getting receiving, or they are receiving votes right now in the AP poll. And then obviously the Gonzaga game you talked about. This is a team that no one's going to want to see if they're in like a two fifteen matchup or maybe a three fourteen. But the, Sincere Carey is a guy that I've been on since last year. He had a great season. I think he was the uh, player of the year in the MAC last year. And unfortunately, just didn't make the tournament because they ran into a really hot uh, Akron team who who played really, really well. Uh, but I like what they've got. They've got a solid core. They got J.J. Solinger's kid coming off the bench, I believe. Uh, they're just a really solid MAC team. It always seems like the MAC has at least one, maybe two teams that could give someone a scare. We've seen it 
throughout the years, especially in the tournament with Ohio taking down teams like uh, Michigan. But they're very impressive so far what they've done. Yeah, and you're looking at the max scoreboard. If you're listening to our our program, uh, doubled up on the fan here on Saturday morning, Toledo is going to play Canisius. Uh, Kent State is going to be on the road at Cleveland State. So there you go. A little Wolstein center action. Okay. I've never been there. Nice. That's another one for the bucket list. See the Vikings. No more Dennis Gates. That's because Dennis Gates is at Missouri. And you fire up the Kansas-Missouri border war. I love mm. that. I'm glad that they're actually doing that. And Me not, too. And not avoiding it like, time the, to play. like the football teams in the bowl game. Yeah, it's time to play. Well, Kansas was really pissed off at Mizzou when they broke out of the Big 12. And right. Mizzou wanted to keep the the deal going and if it wasn't going to be the natural home and home Kansas for a while was bitter about that I understand it's like no, no screw you guys like we're not going to play you didn't want to play it but now they're doing it at uh, home sites this one's at uh, in Columbia so should be a big time deal that's why I'm all dressed up like Kirk Heinrich here today <laughs> but I know you got another flavor for us yeah so I'm going to give you a little bit of an Ohio flavor because uh, Marshall right now is a team, especially in, in the Sun Belt, has played really, really well. Why are you calling them an Ohio flavor? Well, I'm going to get to it. You consider West Virginia, Ohio? No, I'm going to I'm going to get to it. But there's some fun little nuggets about this Marshall team. So they've played; they're really good. They they just beat a really decent uh, Duquesne team who's been leading the A10. But outside of that, their schedule isn't great. But the Sun Belt's always produce really solid teams that can make noise when it comes to the tournament. Think of a team like, uh, I'm trying. Uh, no, U UAB's in the CUSA, I believe. Correct? UAB might be in the American these days. Or maybe who they think, were, who are you thinking of? I was trying to think yeah. of uh, maybe I'm getting the Sun Belt and the CUSA me mixed up, but uh, the, no. Are you calling it the CUSA for Conference of USA? Course, what of are course. you doing? <laughs> no, that's how. That's at least in terms of football terms. That's how I always hear people talk about it. So I'm trying to. Bring it over into this. They, but. they are in Conference USA, by the way. Okay, U, yes. The UAB Blazers. Yeah, so yeah. with Jelly Walker, that was a team. Jelly, uh, yeah. Middle, yeah. Mid Middle Tennessee State, who beat Michigan State in the tournament back in, I believe that was 2016. But uh, North Texas, who beat Purdue in the tournament. Like, we've seen these Conference USA teams play really, really well. Um, but I want to stay over in the Sun Belt because Marshall's a team that looks very threatening if they do get to play anybody. Unfortunately, they haven't. But the reason why I brought up them is because they do have an Ohio connection with Tavion Kinsley, their best player, uh, Eastmore Academy grad. Uh, he was a, he's a three-time All Sun Belt. Uh, I'm sorry, they were originally in the CUSA. That's why I said that. But he's a three-time All CUSA player. Uh, they just moved to the Sun Belt, and his coach actually is Mike D'Antonio's or Mike D'Antoni's bro brother, not Mark D'Antonio. Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni. The NBA the, pedigree. The, the longtime yes. NBA yep. coach, Dan D'Antoni, which is a great name. He's been there for a bit now. He's been there, I think he's been the head coach since 2013, 2014. But, no, he's a Marshall grad. He's done a really good job with this program. And and like I said, I just remember that they are actually, they were in the process of changing conferences over to the Sun Belt. And they've been really impressive. And Kinsley's been a guy that's been uh, up there in terms of best mid-major players throughout the years. And I think this is a team, if they get a chance as a 13 or a 14 seed, could scare somebody. All right, last thing to do on this edition. And we certainly appreciate it, everybody. And if you're if you're a new listener, if you're checking us out on our Saturday program on The Fan, uh, this is what we do. We, we spin college basketball once a week. We love talking about it. 
Uh, Timmy Hall from the Buckeye Show, our guy Evil Bald Colin, who does just about everything around here with the Ohio State Sports Network, running football programs, and his day job, the producer, the fine producer for Rothman and Ice on 97.1 The Fan. We just talk college basketball, Buckeyes, and obviously Big Ten and beyond, a lot of national stuff. So, a little mad about hoops, road trip meter. If uh, the Buckeyes aren't in action, if we're putting them to the side, where might be a place you can go if you're in our central Ohio listening audience? Look no farther. And I know I used Xavier last weekend for this as well. This one I'm really using Cincinnati technically because it's at Fifth Third Arena. If you haven't checked out that spot, the Buckeyes played down there, I think, in the first game when the renovations were completed. I think that's it was, right. It was like a homecoming tour for our play-by-play boy, voice Paul Keels when he went there. But it is the Skyline Chili Crosstown Shootout, 3 o'clock on Saturday. And the tickets are, there's a get-in price of 37 bucks. You can't beat that. We're in between bowl season right now. You cannot beat that. What an amazing bucket list game to, to go and see. That's a really good one. Um, in terms of what I've been looking at, nothing in terms of good driving distance. We, we've already mentioned the Kent State Cleveland State game. I mean, you could go to it. Kent State's a good watch, but I mean, I wish I could drive to Houston and watch Houston, Alabama. That's going to be an absolute great game between top 10 teams. Uh, the, outside of that, I don't see a whole lot I would want to drive to. But you know what? It, it's a great weekend to sit on the couch and watch a lot of games on TV. All right, man. Well, this was so much fun. And again, we got to tell the people, if if you're checking us out on the radio, there is more content in the podcast because we have to whittle this down to fit it for the hour between 9 and 10 o'clock. So be sure to go and check out Mad About Hoops wherever you get your audio. Make sure you're subscribed. There will be some bonus segments in there as well as we pick things up. And we're again, it, we're still not even to the new year. Like, we are just starting to light the candle right now for the college basketball season, and it's great. And I'm glad Ohio State got that win, and uh, now we get to see them in the garden next weekend. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm curious to see what that North Carolina team's going to look like once we get there, especially with a guy banged up like Armando Baycott with his shoulder. Will he play? We'll find out. But it's a great opportunity for Ohio State to get another quad one win under their belt. All right, good stuff, everybody. We certainly appreciate you listening. Enjoy all the college basketball in your near future, and we'll see you next time. This has been Episode 74 of Mad About Hoops.